positive feedback loop. Welcome, everybody, to Positive Feedback Loop, the podcast where we talk about things that we find interesting and hope you do, too. Today, we ha- we're greeted by my lovely co-hosts, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. Ray. Welcome back, everybody. And our guest today is Alex Straley, a leadership development consultant at IBM who works with leaders and directors across the spectrum of leadership. Hey, everyone. Excited to be here. Thanks for being here. And as always, I'm Luis. It's a pleasure to have you guys on board. Uh, today, we wanted to talk a little bit about leadership, specifically the dark side of it. So we all have had bad bosses. I mean, I think everyone, uh, maybe not everyone, but quite a few of us can say that we've had some experiences with bosses that can really make or break your experience at a company. A boss has a lot of power over you, and they can really, even if you were in love with the mission, you're in love with what your work you do, and you love the people you do it with, having a boss that is cruel can completely undermine that. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about that specific topic. So uh, I just wanted to ask before we get started, have any of you guys ever had a particularly bad experience working with someone, you don't have to name names, that you think our audience might want to know about? I mean, that's part of the reason why I care so much about leadership, I guess, is I've had the experience of good and bad leaders. Um, I've had the experience of uh, a leader who really just wasn't interested in anyone else's either personal life or kind of their own motivations and was really just focused on his own goals for his company and really didn't care about (laughs) anyone else's. I mean, there's a lot more detail than that, but it was kind of that lack of empathy with anyone else and that that complete self-centered focus that I think really came down uh, in his case, uh, to be so such a bad leader. <laughs> and actually, it's been found, uh, at least some research I've, I've been reading, uh, that has found that bosses who are less empathic actually tend to have poor outcomes for their companies. Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the consistent, uh, most, most important uh, skills for any successful leader has been shown to be emotional intelligence. And empathy is a, is a massive part of emotional intelligence. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think I want to also address, you know, the cause or actually why do you think they are that way? Because the way I see it, I believe that some of these leaders who are potentially ignoring their coworkers or, you know, not coworkers, but like their subordinates, they might be doing so or not paying close attention to their emotional needs because they're so focused on the product or the mission or some other organizational goal that they're not really interested in the team and as we know as we just you know mentioned that this is obviously not sustainable right but have you seen any other reasons do you think you know everyone is are are, are these leaders being malicious or cruel or is it just because they have other priorities that are more important to have a successful product goal achieve these goals in a company do you understand my question? It's a little uh like are they just putting the company goals above all needs that people have? Is it programming over people essentially is what your question is that is it just a priority that needs to change or is it something that's not that's missing 
you know i would i would argue that it's a combination and it depends it's it's a big it depends question right right you have situations where the problem is a structural one where the incentive structure of the company makes it so that if you focus and you are empathetic and you try to help your team you may actually be end up hurting more in the long term at least within the company itself even if your company may benefit from you being that way there's also the impact of if you are you could also just be a narcissist or you could be a psychopath i mean there's significant numbers of both in the business world and that also has consequences they have a good way of getting into top management and that's a subject of quite a bit of study i mean i think there are a few things that go into good or or bad management but i i think the first thing to remember is that most people want to do a good job at whatever they're doing. Most people want to succeed. I think for any of us who have been managed by someone who we don't love or who we don't you know, feel has our best interests at heart, um, it's really easy to demonize most of what they do. But the reality is when we put ourselves in their shoes, most people are trying to do the best they can do. And to your point, Luis, I think that Often people are promoted for performance and the fact is that people management is a different skill. And so when they're promoted and they're put into this new role and told that now they have maybe their old requirements, but now they have this whole other list of things. So that, that's, sorry, that, that sounds a little bit like the Peter principle. That's the, the idea that people... Uh, continue to be pr promoted to the point of incompetence. You get promoted to the level at which you can no longer perform well. That's why you're not being promoted further. And so you only have people who are incompetent in management positions. There's a really old uh, concept of management theory from like 1969 by Lawrence J. Peter. Well, you see it in other industries. I think you know, you see, for example, pe people who do not have any training in teaching but they are subject matter experts and they get put in teaching. And so this idea that somehow we're good at something and therefore we will be good at managing the people who do that something is a fallacy in and of itself, which is why those who are really trained to be managers can do so much good. It's a lot like career coaches. A career coach can be incredibly successful at what they do. And I've had a career coach, a professional career coach help me. And they know nothing about my industry, but they're incredibly helpful because of the skills that are required to coach. And I feel like management might be the same. I don't know if you experience this or have advice for us, Alex. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up coaching because that's actually exactly where I was going to go. I, uh, I've now been trained as a coach, so I'm now a certified coach. And I totally agree. Um, coaching, you, you, part of the value at times is not always knowing the details because you ask the right questions. It's very similar at times for management, depending on what you're doing. If you're managing people who know how to do the work that they need to do, you're going to be much more effective as a coach, as a manager, as a coach. If you're managing people who maybe this is their first job, they don't know how to get their work done, that is when you really need to be a little bit more hands-on and tell them what to do. And to your point, we don't often teach people how to manage others. We don't often teach leaders how to be leaders. As often as we talk about it in MBA courses, in uh, you know, various different seminars or certifications, we don't really teach people a lot of what goes into leadership often. 
And being able to make these distinctions of what is the person who's reporting to me actually uh, need is really important. And and uh, you, what you say is absolutely true. I definitely, even in the MBA courses that we took together, because uh, for listeners, Al- Alex is a uh, classmate of ours from our BU days. And Fun taking fact. classes together, <laughs> we didn't really have a lot of ex- of chances to try to lead. Right? It was you, you could be leading in terms of clubs and things like that, but managing was not something that was that's like a very hands-on activity in a lot of education. It's more something that you read about or you talk about and you talk about theory of it. But it's very different when you are managing people because then you get into a you know you get issues like. Oh man, this core, this worker is a little standoffish. How do I tell them that they need to do this thing? It's deeply uncomfortable for me, right? right. These are things that you can only really learn by doing, at least uh, in my experience. But it's possible to teach in a classroom, but it's much more difficult. Right, and you also have the idea of like tough love, and some leaders, you know, might think that they're actually doing a really positive thing for their employee by, you know, being not very nice or being too direct or blunt or not caring about their feelings as much in the eyes or in the mind of the, you know, the boss, they're doing a good thing. They're trying to help and teach this person at a fast pace. They're going at a quick pace, you know, not holding their hands with everything, but really just pushing them as fast and hard as they could. So there's also that. But some people thrive in that environment. That's why you have to know who you're leading uh, by exactly saying that it. there's one good way to manage people and one way to motivate them is saying that all human beings are the same, which is, you know, obviously not true. But some people love to be pushed and to really be challenged because they're very focused on self-growth. Others, they want to have a good time. They want work to be pleasant. They're there eight or more hours a day. And so they want to be ha- be with people who are their friends. And so there can be, and there are hundreds more motivations for how employees work best in a workplace and a manager has to work with all of those different needs and personalities and motivations. It's, it's definitely true. Uh, There's no one, there's no one kind of management. There's no one kind of leadership. And and the two are different by the way. I mean, you can be a a manager and a leader. Uh, You can, you can not have anyone that you're, that you're managing, right? But you can still be a leader. And, I think often in our society in general, we, we hold up a few kind of prime examples of these impressive leaders because of their successes, not necessarily because of their people skills, for instance. Um, you know, Steve Jobs is a classic example, right? And he, uh, it's something that I still try to puzzle over at times. People can be really successful in their roles, in their careers, and be awful to be around. Um, and sometimes that actually leads them to success. And so when we think about some of these models of who a successful leader is, sometimes we look at these people who are really successful performers but maybe uh, weren't fun to to work for. I don't have a good answer for how that works all the time. That meanness, those mean leaders, are, are the exception when they actually succeed. What about in the... The military, where leaders are deliberately sometimes very, very cruel. Well, let's not confuse and, boot camp with the military. No, I mean, fair enough. Because that, then the boot camp is they're they're cruel because they're trying to get you 
to not die in combat. Right. And like, there's, there's a very beyond. specific reason why they are that they're structured that way. Right. And but I appreciate that. The military itself well. may not necessarily be cruel to its soldiers. And in fact, it's in its best interest not to be because morale's super important. Yeah. I mean, I guess I agree. What I'm trying to say is even beyond boot camp, there are instances where you really need to be aggressive for them to get stuff done because it's just the way it is. It's just the way they actually, that's the way they were trained. So they're used to getting that kind of instruction. Uh, I'm not saying in all cases, and I really do think that the military creates strong bonds uh, with their soldiers. So I think they have great emotional intelligence, at least, you know, the good uh, leaders. So I'm not saying that the military doesn't know how to lead emotionally or anything like that. Um, but w w in those cases, what do you, what do you think drives those types of people? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think that some of what we're talking about is, is the purpose behind the way we're choosing to lead. So in the military's perspective, I am by no means an expert. So I, I can't say that I know a lot about the ways in which the military teaches leadership. My impression is that in many cases, they do actually a pretty, pretty good job and a lot better job than we do in the business world. My thinking is that military leaders are often going to be a little bit more flexible with the tools that they use to manage other people than your average business leader. If someone's willing to yell at you and willing to tell you you're doing something wrong, but at other times willing to be really protective of you, that shows a really dynamic leader at times. I think most business leaders don't necessarily have that level of complexity in the way they approach leadership. That's and a great answer, the, actually. Yeah, and there's also I, the fact that in the military, a lot of leaders are people who have gone up through the ranks and have been doing the same jobs you did before. So it's, you know, you you they have, there's also a lot of more respect that they kind of earn and accrue through their careers. So there, there's a lot of things in interplay there that I think are interesting to explore, especially given that the stakes of being in the military when you take into account, like, worst case scenario in, the, in a job, you get fired. Worst case in the military, someone fires at you, and you are not out of the way. So uh, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting parallel, and it, it would be interesting to see what we can take from it and apply to corporate culture. But I think one thing that we're not talking about as much is what do you do when the person is not being mean out of necessity? What do you do with meanness that comes from personality? Because that also happens. You have very yeah. different people in the world, and not all of them are being strictly logical. I mean, you have people who are or at least not logical in terms of the benefits of the for the company. A lot of people are mean because they are inherently they they dislike a core a worker deeply, or they have some hangups at home and they take them out on people when they go to work, or they are just messed up individuals. And I use messed up as loosely as possible, and I'm not trying to imply anything about anyone with mental disabilities. But this happens, and people have to deal with it. And in a corporate, and it's interesting, and it would, it would be interested in hearing about what ways companies can kind of tackle this, because it's something that everyone should keep in mind, because hiring is not perfect. Yeah, hiring is definitely not perfect. That is definitely true. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is, it's really interesting to think about these people who are just not nice to each other or 
people who, who have these personality differences. I mean, studies have shown uh, surveying employees over the past approximately 20 years or so that employees today feel like they work in more cruel, and yes, the word cruel specifically, environments than they did 20 years ago. That to me is really upsetting <laughs> and really sad. Um, I don't have the exact answer for why that is the case, but I think it's I think that there's something else going on beyond just personality, beyond just differences in uh, the way people choose to work or priorities. Things have changed in that amount of time, right? We've seen increases in internet usage. We've seen social media. We've seen the speed at which uh, media in general responds to things uh, really increase. And so to me, some of, some of this, some of the cause of it comes down to, or I wonder, I guess, if it comes down to just normalization. We're used to being anonymous and being able to be mean to each other. We're used to maybe having a lot of repercussions for being mean to each other. So if, if that is one of the causes of the increase, then my first response to how we deal with it is uh, we put ourselves into more situations in which we can recognize each other as human beings and recognize each other's needs. That's interesting. I'm kind of curious about the study and how it was conducted. I was just doing a quick Google search, and I did find a study from 2013, actually, with uh, researchers from Notre Dame and Michigan State University. It's kind of interesting. The study says that unattractive people are targets for cruelty at work. And did this study where it says, we find that unattractive individuals are more likely the subject of rude, uncivil, and even cruel treatment by their coworkers. And not only do we, as a society, perceive attractive and unattractive workers differently, we act on those perceptions in ways that are hurtful, uh, said the professor of management at this Timothy Judge. Yeah. Definitely. So is it subconscious? Are we not technically being mean or cruel? to solve, you know, organizational problems, or is this all a subconscious kind of thing? So actually, kind of going off of that, I've, I also did some looking into numbers, and uh, OSHA reports that 2 million Americans every year are victims to workplace violence. That's violence. I'm not even talking just like someone talking smack about you. And about 35% of workers, according to a WBI study, which is the Workplace Bullying Institute, found that 35% of Americans report that they have been bullied at work at some point in their lives, which is quite a lot of people. And kind of going back into the, the attractiveness issue, it's interesting to note that 68% of these bullying cases were same gender. Women tend to be much more likely to target women and men much more likely to target men. Yeah, oh, there's also a fear a of, of sexual harassment, though. That might be the cause of that specifically. No, no, I don't think it's so. No, I think okay. women right. especially are, are much harder on them on each other than they are on men. And I, I didn't know it was the other way around, but that's very interesting. Yeah, uh, bullying is actually four times. Oh, of course, this this study is now a few years old. It's from 2007. That's the most recent I could find. But they found that it's four times more prevalent than illegal harassment. Now, we'll have to see how that those stats look now in the face of kind of the wave you're seeing with the Me Too movement and all of the disclosures we've been getting recently, but it's still a very interesting finding, even though it's likely to under, as understate the problem. Um, 
And with that, we're going to wrap up the first half. We're going to go from here uh, into commercial. So please stick around. And we're going to be talking a little bit more about bullying and cruelty in the workplace. So stick around, lovelies. This is PFL Podcast. Are meetings with your coworkers and boss boring and annoying? Do you dread working on your TPS reports on the weekend? Do you hate your job? Well, using Doppelgang, you can hire a workplace stunt double to take your place while you go off on a tropical vacation or simply sleep in all day. Our motto is, it's time to twin. We have countless prototypes on the Doppelgang platform, powered by the blockiest blockchain of them all. Go to pflpodcast.com and find your perfect doppelgang today. Our stunt doubles are trained to appear like you, act like you, and even smell like you. Using doppelgang does not guarantee future employment with your company. (laughs) Wasn't that a great commercial? All right, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, The first half of the episode, we talked a little bit about cruelty and bad bosses. And we left it off talking a little bit about some of the things that people tend to do in the workplace or people they tend to target, the people that they tend to be cruel to. And we quoted some statistics around that. So we wanted to kind of revisit this. And I wanted to ask Alex, why do you feel that there is this much cruelty in the workplace as is, this much bullying? Well, I think we brought up a good point earlier, which is... Some of this is is unconscious, and we, we call that unconscious bias. So we started talking about attractive people and kind of the advantages they get, or, or really we were more focused on uh, unattractive people and kind of them being victimized more often. This is true in a lot of cases, and it's the classic, you know, someone's different than me, and so I'm going to treat them differently as well. But these unconscious biases, uh, I think, are, are part of a big category of people being mean to each other or cruel in the workplace or outside of it without even being aware of it. So, so much of this is about bringing awareness, self-awareness, uh, awareness to others, and um, just having these conversations more often. Those honestly are, are probably the easier ones because people typically want to do better. Now they're hard to make people realize at first, but once people are aware, they usually do the best they can. And I, and I like to believe that people are, are good at heart. For instance, they may feel powerless in aspects of their own life. And so when they have a chance to take uh, something on those that they work with, on the people that they work with, they take full advantage of it. Those are the much harder situations to address. It's much more than just being aware. In fact, often they are very aware and are very comfortable with what they're doing. What can an employee do if they have a manager that hasn't gained the skills. How can an employee help and support a manager in their role? That's a good one. Well, it's often really uncomfortable, but it's great to have conversations with your manager about what kind of feedback they're looking for, too. Many managers or leaders of any kind um, are, are interested in learning how to do even better, as long as it's on their own terms. Feedback is super scary, right? But if you've had the conversation up front about, hey, you know, what what kinds of things would you like to hear about from me? What kinds of things would you like to improve upon? There's that upward coaching. There's that upward feedback. 
that can be really, really effective. If you're one of those lucky people who has a manager who is at least aware of the fact that they can do better, then that makes it a lot easier. It's much harder when you have those managers who haven't been trained in it, but think that they know what to do. And in those cases, you have to be a lot more subtle. Uh, you have to be a lot more cautious. And I recommend two potential avenues. One, um, you want to get someone else on your side who's maybe that person's equal or maybe even above that person who can advocate for you. So you want to get those advocates on your side. Number two, you start looking at specific areas where you can make requests of your manager. Make it really clear the specific things that you need. If I'm a manager and I'm wondering about where I am on that scale of, of am I a cruel manager or not? I mean, I'm, I'm sure at the most cruel end, they don't have the introspection necessary. So that's probably a first step. But let's say I have an inkling of introspection. I know that lately I've been a bad boss or a bad manager. Where would I start? Yeah, that's a great question. It's really interesting because it's so different for different people. A bad boss can, can be bad for many different reasons. And we, start, we talked about that earlier, right? Different people need different things from their bosses. So I think the first part of it is managing is a lot more vulnerable than we often give it credit for. It can be really scary uh, to try to lead other people. It can be really satisfying too. But the best thing to do is to admit some of the things that you don't know to admit some of the things that you're working on and to be ready to be wrong. And if you're willing to show that, that human side to the people who you manage, they'll usually cut you a lot more slack, first of all, because they understand that you're trying. But second of all, they're, they're just, they're more willing to treat you back like a human um, and we all make mistakes. So that vulnerability, that willingness to admit uh, that something may not be perfect, that you don't know everything, that you're not infallible, is is huge. The other thing I would say in terms of just kind of even when you're on that spectrum, figuring out where you are, figuring out kind of how you're doing as a manager beyond just talking to your employees is taking yourself through what, what you would want. You know, what have you been doing? Uh, and put yourself in, in your employees' shoes and try to be very realistic with yourself about kinds of the experiences that you've had. And not just what you want, given where you are now, because you may have the 10 years of experience that the people under you don't have. You have to put yourself back to what you were looking for when you were as experienced or working the role that they actually were. And that's the piece that we often miss. Usually, if we do put ourselves into someone else's shoes, we put our current selves into their shoes. And that is not usually what we need uh, when we're actually talking about the people that we're managing. Well, when you put on someone else's shoes, they rarely fit. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, you. Uh, as creepy as it sounds, you kind of have to put yourself as them in their shoes. And that's right. very difficult to do. And that's the hardest part of empathy. Because right. it's very easy to either sympathize or just project yourself into a situation, which that's just that's completely besides the point. Because it's not about you. Well, something we learned Although in, in the, this situation, it is. Yeah. Something we learned in the MBA program from Hutch, <laughs> Professor Hutchinson, is that the golden rule is 
not actually the goal, which is you'd think, ah, what? Yes, it is. <laughs> you know, it's the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And he said, actually, there's this platinum rule that's even better. And it's do unto others as they would like you to do unto them. And the idea is that what you want isn't necessarily what someone else wants. And so, you know, it relates to the love languages too. Just because you receive in a certain love language doesn't mean that another person wants you to give in that love language to them. So I think that's, Alex, what you're saying reminds me of that. Putting yourself as if you were them in their shoes is, is the platinum rule. Yeah, I love that rule. Yeah, I, I uh, didn't remember that it was Hutch who had taught us that. I remember that rule and I like, I've said it multiple times um, over the last couple of years, but I just taking credit for awesome. it. I see. So yeah, I wasn't <laughs> sure who to give credit to, but on this episode, we are all giving credit to professor Hutchinson. So thank you, professor, if you're listening. Um, another thing he did say was about, he talked about behavior and he had an equation, which was behavior equals personality times the environment and he also taught us that you cannot change person personality but you can change the environment in which they are in and that in turn can cause a change in behavior so you want to kind of expand on that in terms of this topic alex a little bit and how you can change the environment in order to make both parties the the boss good or bad and the employee good or bad more and i guess how do you get them talking more or get them to work together, not be cruel? You know what I'm trying yeah, to say? I, I think I do. And, and for me, a lot of this comes down to habit building. Um, a lot of the kinds of things we do in the workplace, honestly, in our lives, I, because I think we too often think of leadership or uh, management as something that is, is separate. But for me, at least, being a good leader is also about being a good person. So I really think that they're super connected. Now, not everyone would agree with that. And there are plenty of good leaders who probably aren't the best people. And I mentioned that earlier. But I think if we're talking about the, the 80 or 90% of the successful leaders, we're talking about the people who are also working as hard as they can be to be good people. And for me, a lot of that is about building good habits. So if we think about good habit building, um, one of the important traits is connecting it with something else that we do consistently. And another important trait is, is repetition early on, very conscious repetition. The third thing is not trying to form too many habits at once. So first piece, connecting a habit to something that we already do. If we apply that to the workplace, we can start thinking about, okay, Take, take your example. We want to try to get people to talk to each other a little bit more. Maybe that's in a feedback kind of case because most companies struggle. A positive feedback kind of place? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. Boom. Exactly that. So if we're trying to get people to have more positive feedback, we want to connect that to maybe the ends of meetings or the ends of certain kinds of conversations. We actually build a habit into the last five minutes of every interaction that we have is just about giving and receiving feedback. When you normalize that experience and maybe structure it a little bit, it makes it much easier to do. So that's connecting it with something we already do. 
we have the other two pieces as well. So choose what you're trying to build your habits. Choose those priorities carefully so that we're not trying to build too many habits at once. And then there's repeating it often. So is someone else checking in with you? Are people asking you about that habit? Is it well communicated across the team that this is the habit that you're all trying to build together? It's much easier to build habits if you do it together. People who are trying to quit cigarettes tend to do so more successfully when they actually do so in a group because they can like support each other. Like a positive peer pressure. Exactly, exactly. Extremely effective. And we see that all over the place. When you're dieting, if you make that commitment on social media or to a friend, you're more likely to commit to it. So this comes back, honestly, it comes back to the vulnerability I talked about with leadership. And it comes, a piece of vulnerability is transparency. What are you trying to do? Is it just for you? Is it for your whole team? Probably should be for everyone on the team. And are you communicating that effectively? If someone on your team, if you're a team member and not a leader necessarily or a manager and you want something to happen, is there a way that you can communicate that need to the team and try to start a grassroots effort where you show how effective this habit can be and where you make it easy for your manager to form that habit? It can go both ways. Yeah. And as you just pointed out, all of the things that you've mentioned work equally well for employees as well as their managers or heck C-level, right? Absolutely. Anyone can benefit from being more mindful and really thinking about themselves and their interactions with those around them in the ways that you've described. Absolutely. Absolutely. We keep talking about leaders and managers and the fact is, again, I think it's really important to, I don't think I can emphasize this too much. People can be leaders without being managers. I consider myself a leader in many cases, even though I don't have direct reports at, at my job. But you can lead a new initiative. You can identify that there's a problem. You know, If you notice a lot of unconscious bias in your team, what kinds of habits can you build into the way you work and the way you interact with those around you that can help to address that? I think that's very example. similar to how families function. You, a manager is like a parent. A parent tells a child what they need to be doing, manages their time, gives them a no or a yes to a request. But there are other adults in that child's life that lead them, that do not have, they can't tell them where to go or how to spend their time, but they can influence them and teach them. And so it's important to have not only a good manager, because that's the day-to-day -day person in your life and in a family your a child is around their parents, hopefully, a lot of the time and influenced by them. But it's also important to have leaders. Um, and, I, and I think I, of that metaphor a lot because we have a lot of listeners who may not work there uh, and their mothers or fathers who are at home. And applying these principles of leadership and management can be very effective, not just in the workplace, but in every facet of our life, such as parenting and volunteer opportunities. I mean, that these principles are pervasive. They're not just limited to corporate culture. Absolutely. Although I would, I would uh, warn people, unless you work at a youth summer camp, don't treat your employees as children. <laughs> right. <laughs> there Definitely are some differences. <laughs> Definitely true. But let's, let's take that for a second, because I, I think that's such an interesting concept. I, I totally agree. Do not manage your direct reports as, as children. Totally agree. But let's think about how we treat children for a minute too, because there's, there's a, a, a way we can flip that a little bit. There's a concept of servant leadership, 
where you're really thinking about what do my employees need to succeed? They know where they need to go. And now my job as a leader is not to force them to get there. It's to get things out of the way so that they can succeed. I think personally, at least, that that's a really effective way of parenting as well. Of course, you need to have certain rules and, and not every child is just going to be perfect at all times. But in general, my, my experience and, and my exposure to, to other people has been that the most successful people in terms of being raised by their parents are the ones that haven't just been told every day exactly what they have to do. The ones who have been pointed in a direction and the parent has told them, I am here to help you succeed. And honestly, that's that's a really effective way of leading. And with that, thank you very much, Alex. This has been fantastic. Do you have anything you'd want to uh, have our listeners find you on? Any social media profiles or anything that you want people to, uh, if they want to read more about what you do or hear more from you, if they, anything, anywhere they can find you? Yeah, well, I actually have started writing uh, a blog about leadership on LinkedIn. So it's just Alex Straley. I'm pretty easy to find. I have a, a nice bright red shirt on in my LinkedIn profile picture. And uh, I've started to talk about some of these kinds of things, talking about vulnerability, talking about how to uh, effectively apologize as a leader, which I know uh, links in with some of what you have talked about before, too. Um, and so I would love people to, to go there and, and engage with me, comment on, on what I'm writing and give me more ideas of what else they'd like to hear. Yeah. And for, for listeners, as Alex has pointed out, you can always visit our public apology episode, which is a great way to learn more about what to do when you have messed up in leadership. Episode 46. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, or Stitcher, as with any of these episodes. Also, I wanted to invite our new uh, and our talk about our new Telegram group for our lovely piffles. So it, we built a Telegram community, and its channel is at PFL Podcast. So if you use Telegram, the app, you can join our group and have conversations during the week, not just on this. Uh, you know, you don't just have to listen to us. Now you can talk to us and give us suggestions for topics and all these things. So, uh, Alex, I know you're going to be joining the group very soon. So I'm, I'm very happy to have you join us. And yeah. Thank you very much for being around. Thank you, Please Alex. <laughs> do. Thank you, Alex, so much. You've been a fantastic guest. Alex, very insightful. Thank you for this opportunity to speak with you. Thank you all for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Dear listeners, please find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and comment, send us messages, find us on Telegram. Tell all your friends, and as always, stay crazy.